Welcome to the New Hope Sermon of the Week. We hope you are encouraged by this message by Pastor Tom Sturgis. As I, as I prepared for this, this, this verse of Scripture, and by the way, we're sort of at an exhale point here. Um, we finished the series, Manna, What Is It, uh, last week. I say we finished it. I don't know that I finished it. I just told you I would, and so we stopped. But uh, we certainly haven't finished it in terms of expecting uh, that anticipation of, of God's wonderful, uncertain mystery showing up in our life. We, we haven't abandoned that whatsoever. But in, there's sort of an exhale moment at the end of every summer here. And as we prepare launching things, small groups, uh, a launch will happen the week of the 15th. I can't encourage you enough to get into those small groups as you get together. And you're going to share about the wonderful truth of, of God's Word and its possibilities for our life. We're not studying the Bible just for some cerebral or academic sake. We're going to be looking at the book of Colossians. Just one of my favorite books in the New Testament, but then again, if you asked me about any of them, I would probably say they're one of my favorite books in the New Testament. But just so many wonderful, great, and pointed truths needed for our lives there, and I, I just can't, I can't wait for that to get going. But as we come into the fall, we have this sort of this exhale point, uh, a lot of people rushing out for last minute uh, vacations and whatnot. As a matter of fact, I think much of our tech team, if not all of our tech team, left for vacation today. And so we have, uh, I think Amanda's in the light booth running everything. You know, you guys don't know Amanda, but you're going to meet her again here shortly. Amanda is awesome. So is everybody who works back there. Um, uh, uh, Gary traded positions and, and came out and is running the house mix for us this morning. Just everybody, just a great, great group of people. Um, but as we come to the, through the close of the summer, it's an opportunity for me to sort of, all the things that have been floating around, um, sort of throbbing in my heart and spirit, I get to talk about them. So this is one of those moments. But I, I believe it's a prophetic moment. I want to tell you again, I said two weeks ago, a working definition for when we use the word prophetic around here. It came from a mentor of mine about 25 years ago. Prophetic for me doesn't mean a mysterious glowing or pixie dust sprinkled throughout the room dancing off the lights. Prophetic means this, a moment in time and space when God penetrates our lives with a fresh and renewed sense of purpose and promise. That is just, uh, a matter of fact, if, if you want, prophetic involves three things that you hear around here a lot. Presence, namely God's presence. Presence, reasserting his purpose and promise in our lives. And much of that can happen on the front side of the brain as we examine God's word, but we believe as much or more of it happens on the back side in our spirit where the Holy Spirit is just um, uh, uh, quickening us. You know, late last night a pastor called me and <clears throat> involved in a, a discussion, uh, some theological discussions, and he says, you know, I'm concerned with how those of a particular mindset or in debate and culture that, uh, that come from sort of academic circles, they, they may belittle the person on the street or the person in the pew by saying, you really don't get it, you really don't get it. And I said back to him, I said, it really is tragic. I'm going to see if I can remember how I phrased it. It really is tragic how those voices, and can I say this? Because I also believe... It's a whisper of the adversary uh, that started in the Garden of Eden and say, okay, these people are devil people. I'm not saying that. 
I'm, I'm not saying they're demon-possessed or any of that. I'm just saying it is a familiar whisper. Watch this. That reduces the spiritual and intuitive perception of a person. I want to say that again. The spiritual, intuitive perception of a person. You know, where you just know something that you don't know, but you don't know the facts to support it. You just know that. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, then you probably have never been a parent yet, okay? Um, because there are just some things you know, okay, that you can't quite nail down. And what happens is you sort of see that and you perceive that. Now listen to me. Right now I'm talking about things happening in culture around us that you see them, and intuitively you perceive them, but you just can't really describe what you see happening or why. So this just, just generally moving in that direction. Well, the voices from... The other side or will show up and say, you're just paranoid and ignorant. And they'll say, ignorance and fear always runs together. That may be true. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't doubt that at all. Matter of fact, I've said that myself. But here's the deal. Just because you can't articulate it doesn't mean that there is not an intuitive perception about the reality around you that God built into us. And then I said to them, I, I, I think my favorite phrase from, from, from me that I've distilled, I said, I have noted now for all of my adult life that you cannot legislate integrity, righteousness, or common sense. You can't legislate integrity, righteousness, or common sense. And there are people who will try to explain away all three of those to try and find just, you know, justification for doing what basically... Our perception says, you know, there's just, there's just, there's just not something quite right about that. But then they come in with the frosting of disclaimer, explanation, and, and, I, and I, I wrote this to all these, there's about 4,000 pastors on this forum. I said, I've told you this before and I'll remind you that that action is like putting frosting on cow poop and calling it a cupcake. But the problem is, you know it's not when you take the first bite. You know pretty much it's not a cupcake. The, 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 what's going on in culture around us, and I'm not even saying from a political standpoint, don't, don't think I'm ordinarily going there, I'm just saying that there's this intuitive perception of what's going on. You say, that, that, that's not quite right. And then the mind will come and say, no, no you're, you're just ignorant and fearful and paranoid. I'm not ignorant and fearful and paranoid. I, I sense there are things going on, which does what? For the believer, it should drive us to our knees. But en en enough, uh, uh, enough about chasing that thought for the moment. Um, when we live in this world and there are things, when I said to you a moment ago that we believe that we're presented with reason and rationale from God's Word on the front and on the back side of our mind. Beloved, it's that intuitive spiritual perception that I do believe God places in us. When that begins to happen in or around you, receive that. Now, there are people, then the Bible addresses being fearful or paranoid, and we should not go there. The Bible says to do what is right without any fear. You know, I'm chasing something here that's not in my notes, and I, I know the clock is ticking away, but, 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 but hear me. I was sharing with a young disciple yesterday about how Christians want to overreact in creating margin. What I mean by that is 
they want to add to the Word of God and make it sort of more and more intense. In other words, watch this. If there's this pendulum sort of swinging this way, okay? If I had a pendulum, I could swing. Culture is swinging over this way, and in order to compensate, we don't want to just stop in the middle. We want to sort of add to the gospel over here because we all know the rule. You've got to compensate for the swing. Or let's use another term. We all know if you want to sell something at your garage sale for five bucks, you're going to put a $7 price tag on it or 10 or whatever you want to put. My wife, boy, she is great at having garage sales and going to them, flea markets and me, not, the, not, not so much. I don't do that well at all. If you want a good deal, buy something from me. Buy it from me, okay? Uh, you usually get it for a reduced cost, if not free, you know? So it, it works out that way. But we think we need to add to the number. Listen, as believers, stand confidently in what God's Word says. You don't need to add to it. You don't need to add to it through politics, through sociological ideals. You don't have to. Just stand right there on the Word of God. Well, Pastor, if we don't overcompensate, they're not going to sort of land there. Don't add to the Word of God. It stands. It works. It will. Just stand on it. You don't have to react. You don't have to go overboard. Uh, if you don't know what, I, you say, I'm not quite clear what you're talking about, I've got to stop right there, okay? I've just got to stop. But we have done that in culture as Christians, okay? We, we do. And when we have that spiritual perception, we typically react with the language of culture and we try to oversell it on the other side. We don't. Why? We've sung songs here. There's peace, 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 a fully satiated place. We, we stand in a place of peace. All right, enough said. Let, let me see if I can move quickly and get to the point of verse 17 because there's 16 verses before it. Oh, I know you're grieved already. Dude, the Cracker Barrel special of the day is going to be gone by the time I get there. Um, it, it won't be, okay? So everybody ready to turn your attention to the Word of God quickly? This is incredible um, uh, verse or chapter and uh, entire chapter, all 17 verses. And it's, I, I looked for the last time in my notes I had spoken on it, and it's been 14 years uh, this, since I taught uh, specifically from this passage of Scripture. And, of course, singing this song uh, all week long has just absolutely, uh, I'm praying that, that whatever we look at here quickly in the next few minutes, and I don't know that we won't come back for the next two or three weeks or, until we get past to the Sunday the 15th and we sort of launch whatever we're going to be doing in the, uh, in the fall. But let's look at these verses of Scripture. Isaiah 54, verse 1. Here we go. Shout for joy, O barren one, you who have borne no child. How many know we had a problem right off the bat? Shout for joy, you barren one, O barren one, you have borne no child. The fair response back is, why should I be shouting for joy? You just articulated my circumstance. I feel like my life is empty, fruitless, not producing a thing. And so, shout for joy. You know, last night. This isn't in my notes either, but this may be the only thing you remember about the sermon, and that'll be great. Last night, my four-year-old granddaughter, um, Brenda Grace, has her own iPad. Imagine that. And certainly she can't spell or write or words, but she has icons, four of them. Four of them on her iPad to FaceTime the critical people in her life, of which I am one. I had laid my phone down, and I noticed that I had three missed calls from her. Now, she is hilarious. She is... Just, I, I, just this special little human being. Of course, I'm a grandfather, so you would expect that. And, uh, you know, I, I remember being, when I was younger, hearing people stand up and talk about 
how wonderful their grandchildren were, you know, sitting and listening to sermons, and I think, well, when I become a grandfather, I'm never going to do that. Never going to do that. That is just wasted time. People don't care about it. I don't care about your grandchild. You know, it just doesn't, it's your grandchild, and I get, I care about that you care about them, but they're not my grandchild. And then I became a grandfather. And I thought how absolutely selfish it would be of me to deprive you of the amazing stories of these incredible human beings, the likes of which you've never seen before on this planet. So it's over and against my own self that I impose this upon myself to share it with you, all right? So <clears throat> she calls, and now it's after 11 o'clock. What's the four-year-old doing up at 11 o'clock is first the story, but I'm there, I answer the phone, and, and there she is. Now, she is, I, I've got this little game going on with her recently because she just does these extreme little things and, you know, dancing, whatever. And so yesterday, um, actually this happened earlier in the day, she called and I said, you little whack job, you're crazy. I'm not a whack job, Papa, you know, and then she comes back. So I turn to the keyboard in my office and uh, my kids will tell you, I am world famous in their lives for making up stupid songs on the fly, just dumb songs about anything. So I turned to the keyboard and I made up a song about, I said, oh, I got a song for you. And of course, her mom, Candace, was there who had heard these songs. And I began singing songs about, you're a little whack job, crazy in this place. You're a little whack job named Brenda Grace. Or just something stupid, you know. I'm playing on the keyboard, singing this song, going on and on. And I'm, I turned back to the phone and singing this, the, the whack job song. And, and she's not appalled, shocked, or caught in horror. She's working out a dance to the song. She's doing the dance to the song. And I thought, I need that gift to where when the world shouts or sings back at me, the most horrible or detrimental or not flattering potential realities about me, I don't sit as a member of the audience. I join and turn their observations into my dance. There's a point of theology there into my expression of praise. When I turned, I was all into my little song, making up stupid words and making sure they rhymed and everything. I turned back. She doesn't care about the song. She's into her dance, not my song. And there really is a point of truth that does come through this passage of Scripture about turning the barrenness, the brokenness, the hurt, and the pain that has otherwise come upon you into a song of praise that says, I'm going to see a victory. Now, having said that, I'll tell you what I'll do. We're going to go through the Scripture. I'm going to talk about the last verse. And then we're going to come back to this in the next couple of weeks. But here we go, all right? Uh, he says, shout for joy, you have born no child. Break forth into joyful shouting and cry aloud. And think of her dancing in the midst of an otherwise negative song, all right? In other words, I just gave you an illustration that, oh, barren one, you have born no child. And all of a sudden, we, we have a dance going on because God said, shout for joy. And by implication, dance into joyful shouting and cry aloud. You have not travailed. For the sons of the desolate one will be more numerous than the sons of the married woman. Now, the word desolate is mentioned time in the, two times in this passage. Next week, I'm going to come back and unpack some of these things for you. But it's the term that means the shock or horror incurred as one observes the judgment of God. Everybody say judgment. See, we all knew that God's into that, right? We're taught by culture. We get our theology from culture who uses the term God with a big G or a little g. And we all know that God whatever, whoever God is, is all into judging us because, you know, that's sort of what a God does. Uh, whether that's uh, um, uh, uh, Greek mythology or whether it's the God of Scripture, right? We all know that. Problem is, 
that is not what the Bible says about our God, okay? Now, verse 2, enlarge the place of your tent. Again, that is a proactive expression on our part. Well, why would I enlarge the place of my tent if I don't have any kids? But God says, I want you to act now. Shout now. Act now. Enlarge the place of your tent. Stretch out the curtains of your dwelling. Spare not. Lengthen your cords. Strengthen your pegs. That means I want you to extend the walls of your place. Now, this prophetic pointed word is for someone here today that there doesn't appear to be the evidence but God is saying to you now, as a matter of fact, you prayed this morning, last night, and on the way here, or someone watching online right now, and I'm telling you that God is saying, act now, shout now, extend the walls now, because the promise of God is coming. Go ahead and give the Lord praise right there. Now, another thing I'm going to come back to next week are the seven wills. Everybody say seven wills. Here comes the seven wills, for you will spread abroad to the right and to the left, and your descendants will possess the nations and will resettle the desolate cities. Can't wait to get back to that next week. Fear not, for you will not be put to shame. Watch this right behind it. And do not feel humiliated, for you will not be disgraced but you will forget the shame of your youth and the reproach of your widowhood. You will remember no more. I just got to hit that next to the last one, that you will remember the shame of your youth no more. There are people sitting here today that look back on your failures of your past long ago or recent, the days of yesterday. In the broadest sense, the days of your youth represent in one container my yesterdays. There are things in our yesterdays that we still shake our head about. I do it. Oh, man, I wish I hadn't made that decision, that decision, and that decision. And it puts us in a place of, oh, boy, the word shame is used here. We just finished prior to this series, uh, seven, six or seven week uh, series on, the, on what shame is. It's online. Go and listen to it. Shame is what happens between, listen, deception, fear, and hiding. Those are the three problems of mankind. They happen in Genesis in the first three chapters. But in between deception, fear, and hiding, right in between number two and number three, they were ashamed and then they hid. When we're filled with shame, we hide from God and the possibilities of God. We don't want each other to see us. We don't want God to come near. You can go listen to that series and check that out, all right? Verse, uh, verse 5, for your husband is your maker. He's saying God is that. Whose name is the Lord of hosts and your Redeemer is the Holy One of Israel who, called, who is called the God of all the earth. Isn't it great that God shows up to remind us just who you're dealing with? He says, I need to remind you who I am. And he does it all through the Bible, from Genesis right through to the end in the book of Revelation when he shows up to one of the churches that's, that's being lied to and saying, you can't know God the way that you think you can know God. Jesus shows up, it's in written in red, and he says, I am the holy, the faithful, and the true witness. And the Greek language says, wait just a minute, I have something to say about that. Let me remind you who I am and who I said you are and the provisions that I have before you. And very much in this similar redemptive language, he said those that are trying to make you bow will bow at your feet. 
no weapon formed against you will prosper. Boy, I got to go back to this. You're sitting here today and the echo of your past is trumping the promise of your tomorrow. It is so loud. The shame of your youth, the failures of yesterday, they absolutely dwarf the possibilities of tomorrow. They grip your heart and mind with a sense of a negative outcome based on the experiences of the past. As a matter of fact, two times in the book of Isaiah, he says, forget the past. And then three chapters later, he says, I want you to remember the past. Well, what are you talking about? Well, the past he wanted him to forget was more recent. The past he wanted him to remember, he says, remember this. I am the Lord your God. So as I said to you here some years ago, if I can just create, I'll do it on the stage. When God says, I look back to my past right here, okay? So I'm here. I'm about to create a virtual image of three Toms. Here's Tom number one. Now, the virtual Tom is right here. Tom is there, there looking back and saying, here's all of my problems. God says, if you're going to look back, make sure you look back far enough. Make sure you look past the failures. He says, all the way, all the way back to here to his Ephesians says, I am the Lord God. I spoke over you before the foundations of the world. He says, so if you're going to look back, make sure that, and I really need people up here to illustrate this, make sure that you look past the failures that are right here, all the way back to the first voice that ever spoke before your failures, because what I said back there, way back there, still is good and will trump these voices right here. It's only a matter of which ones you're going to listen to. You can give the Lord praise. That's solid scripture. And I'll give them to you next week, all right? I'm baiting you to come back, all right? Okay, let me see if I can skip ahead. I want you to notice starting, uh, look at verse 7. For a brief moment I forsook you. By the way, that's their perspective and really not the fact. He's speaking from within their paradigm as a wife or because uh, he likens himself as a husband. Uh, but with great compassion I will gather you. I want you to note the times in these next verses that the two words, loving kindness and compassion, two different Hebrew words are used. But they are both words that are translated mercy, and you have to understand both of those terms to get it. Both of the terms combined in the Old Testament land squarely on the back of the, of the one Greek term in the New Testament translated mercy, eleos. And our working definition for mercy around here, if you can go ahead and put that up, Amanda, because I want to put it right in front of us, okay? The working definition of mercy around here, um, actually, we'll go back, thank you, is God refusing to join me in my opinion of me above his opinion of me. Just leave that up there. I don't know if that's showing up clear enough for you to grab a picture of that on your phone or take notes, but God refusing to join me in my opinion of me above his opinion of me. We did a series last summer, just for a few weeks, based on the word opinion and why I use that word opinion. The term opinion is at the root of the word for glory, that, you know, that shining essence of God in us. At the root of that, God says, when my opinion of me comes to, that is, when my, God says, my opinion of me, me being God, God says, when my opinion of me is alive in you, you will become fully what I've intended for you to be. It will begin to irradiate because I'm imparting to you me. And when that happens, the opinion, the purpose, my spoken word about what 
you can be and what I designed you to be will come to full expression. So that's why this, this concept of opinion. But mercy is God refusing to join me. Now let's see how that word lands right here. In an outburst of anger, I hid my face from you for a moment, but with everlasting loving kindness and compassion, I will have compassion on you, says the Lord. For this is the, like the days of Noah to me, when I swore the waters of Noah would not flood the earth again. So I have sworn that I will not be angry with you, nor will I rebuke you. Here it comes, verse 10. For the mountains may be removed and the hills may shake, but my, here comes the two words, my loving kindness, my loving kindness will not be removed from you, and my covenant of peace will not be shaken, says the Lord, who has compassion on you. Get this. God refusing to join me in my opinion of me above his opinion of me. How many know that mercy follows us all the days of our life? Say amen. The Bible says that. I'll ask again. How many are thankful that mercy follows us all the days of my life? Hallelujah. Uh, Jeremy, come here. I'm going to use you for a minute. Now, when you're standing and walking in obedience to Scripture, God says, I stand right with you in covenant. I'm right here, okay? But we get to choose the power of choice. We walk off and we're going to say, I think I'm going to do something stupid. Walk over that way, son. Walk over that. And, and God says, oh, stop, stop right there. You say, well, why aren't you going with him? Because God says mercy follows you. Go ahead a little farther. And just walk around that organ back there, okay? That, that organ over there, that one. That's the organ. There you go. Okay. The one I play, the one that everybody ignores. There we go. Go there. We, now, okay. So here he goes. Now he's going out of sight. We're going to walk around. Go ahead. I'm following you. And we're out of sight. Keep going. Go farther. Go all the way back to the middle. There you go. Okay. Stop right there. Okay. Here's God. Right over here. I'm this far away. Well, why aren't you joining him? Because he's still living in the land of stupid. Okay. So just stay right there in the land of stupid for a minute. Okay. God says, mercy follows me all the days of my life, but please hear me for the same reason he wouldn't let them back into the Garden of Eden to eat of the tree of life, because if they did, they would sustain their deathness. God says, mercy follows you all the days of my life. It's a fascinating study we've done here for years. But God says, I'm going to follow you. Uh, I'll be right here whenever you're ready. In other words, I'm going to track you and know what's going on. And whenever you want to get back over here out of stupid, we're ready to rock and roll. See, I haven't lost sight of you. I haven't forgotten you. It's just, if I show up, my presence empowers your current state. Everybody get that? My presence does one thing. It gives life or it kills. And after the cross, so he said, you know, I, I want you all to come boldly, but I'm not going to come over here. And the reason why my presence destroys you in sin is because my power animates your current state. It is not God saying, here, I'm coming to kill you. God says, no, I'm just going to give life to that primary value system that you hold. Is this sinking in? God says, I'm not going to show up and join you in the midst of stupidity because it would empower stupidity with the ability to go ahead and destroy you entirely. And my mercy says, I will never join you in that which is about to destroy you. I will never partner with that. I will never give life to that. I will never validate that or substantiate that. But when you make your way back, God says, I'm right here with open arms waiting to redeem, waiting to stand with you, waiting to walk again. Now, 
Thanks, son. So just look over to the person next to you and say, do this. You can hold your hand up, not pointing, but hold it up like you're making a great point. Come on, come on, come on. If you, if you go along with me, I'll, I'll be done earlier. And just sort of hold your hand up like this and say, okay, here, here's what you need to tell them. Don't stay too long in the land of stupid. Now, now listen, listen, listen. If you don't include the word of, God will judge your heart. I didn't say don't stay too long in that land stupid. I know you're wanting to say that. Some of you are. I said, don't stay too long in the land of stupid. Okay? And you can look back at him and say, you talking to me? Okay, all right. Now, hallelujah. Let me tell you what sin is. This is a refresher from last year. Sin is finding my identity anywhere else other than God's opinion of me. That's what sin is in the biggest and simplest sense. It is finding my worth, my identity anywhere outside God's opinion. Now, remember, mercy is God refusing to join me. So then what is confession? The word in the New Testament is homologeo. It means to say the same thing as. Say the same thing as who? Same thing as God. Well, then what does that mean? Confession is this, okay? Go on to the next one, please, if you would, Amanda. Confession is the point at which I embrace God's opinion of me above my opinion of me. I don't know if the computer may be locked up, but just indulge me. Look this way. Confession, if sin is finding my identity outside of God, then confession is the point, the moment that I say, okay, God, I got my opinion. Uh, My opinion of me is now being informed by your opinion of me. Why is that important? Because remember, Jeremy was standing over here and you're saying, God, I need more grace. I need your presence. And he goes, not as long as you're living in the land of stupid. What do you mean? You have anger in your heart. You have unforgiveness. You have bitterness. You have brokenness. You're seeking your worth in holding on to bitterness or offense or an attitude or control or whatever it may be. I I can't join you in that. But the moment that that person says, that we say back to God, okay, God, I accept your opinion of me above my opinion of me, that is nothing other than confession. So what is judgment? Here comes judgment. That's where we're going to end. Judgment is God simply allowing me the choice of living in my opinion of me above his opinion of me. What do you mean by that? That is, if you, that God says, okay, if if you want to walk in that, you can walk in that. That is judgment, beloved. That's judgment. It's not God saying, I invented this secret potion to pour out on you to destroy you. But what does he say at the end of this? He says, let's keep going. Verse 11, O afflicted one, storm-tossed and not comforted, behold, I will set your stones in antimony. He's saying, when I come back, and all this is this big flowery language. To, he's essentially saying to, to uh, his people, his wife, girlfriend, I'm going to deck you out better than you can even imagine. I, I'm coming back, and I'm coming back with, with good things more than you can possibly imagine. He goes on the way through verse 13. We'll, we'll pick that up again next week. In verse 14, in righteousness, that is God's order, you will be established. You will be far from oppression. You will not fear, for you will not fear, and from terror it will not come, it will not come near you. Here we go. If anyone fiercely assails you, it will not be from me. Whoever assails you will, will, will fall because of you. God says, Because you're mine. Did you know there's another place in Isaiah where he says, you went off into slavery, but you did that on your own. No one paid me to take you into slavery. 
and no one's paying me to bring you back. I'm God. I love you. And I'm doing this. Now come, come this way. Watch the language. He says in verse 16, Behold, I myself have created the smith. That's like the blacksmith. Who, who blows the fire of coals and brings out weapons, for it works. And I have created the destroyer to ruin. He is saying, the weapons that have come against you have been the result. He says, in fact, yeah, I know there's blacksmiths there. I made them. These nations that have come against you in the history of Israel, he said, I get that. And you say, it's by my hand. Well, and he says, at the end of the day, ultimately, there's nothing that doesn't happen by my hand. He said, I get that, but I didn't choose this. It's something you chose, and then watch the language. He says, no, but he said, I, I love this language. He says, I myself have created the smith who blows the fire, for, uh, the fire of the coals and brings out the weapons for its work. But if we may, can we jump back to verse 15? But he says at this point, I, I want you to know something. I want you to know that you're turning and you're coming back from the land of stupid towards you, me, and I want you to know that if anyone assails you, it's not by my hand. I'm coming after you. And here's what he says, verse 17. No weapon that is formed against you will prosper. Let's fill in the blanks. It's not by my hand. You're moving back towards me out of a place of separation and out of the place of judgment that was brought on you by your actions. And I want you to know that any weapon that is formed against you right now, it will not prosper. Why? Because the end of verse 15 because of you. I'm committed to you. You're mine. And every tongue that accuses you in judgment, you will condemn. This is a heritage for the servants of the Lord. And their justice, vindication, is from me, declares the Lord. God says, I'm going to show up in irrefutable fashion. I'm going to make this right. I'm speaking prophetically to some of you here. I love the way this song starts because we don't know if that is no weapon formed against you is primarily um, um, uh, first person or futuristic or present, but I believe instead it covers everything. In other words, you say, Pastor, there's been weapons that work against me. And God says, okay, those weapons that have been formed in the past, they won't work. But it also says another thing. Any new weapon that's being formed against you right now, there's someone in this place that when I said those words, you identified with it because you're watching in front of your eyes as a next weapon is being formed against you to destroy your life, the quality of life, to upend your life, to bring and rob your peace, to do whatever. You're watching it be formed in front of your very eyes. It could be on the part of a loved one acting unwittingly. It could be something intentionally being done before you. But whatever it is, it may not be. I want to say again, it may not be anyone doing anything on purpose. Anybody here ever lived with someone that is so in the grip of doing their own judgment thing that the fallout of their life absolutely makes your life miserable. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And they're not doing it to so much attack you. You're not the object. They're trapped in their own brokenness and their own judgment, if you will, living in the land of stupid. But the overflow of that falls right on you. And you sit there watching it sort of in the bleachers of life saying, I can't believe this has happened. God says, I want you to know that the weapon that you're watching being formed right now on August 25th, I pluck the heart of a pastor to say these words to you today. That no weapon, that weapon, and I love the opening words of this song. Dan, could you guys come back out? 
It says the weapon may be formed. I want you to hear me today on August 25th. I've said August 25th three or four times. I usually don't call out a date, but I want to say to you again and again and again and again. There are those of you sitting here today that you're watching the weapon being formed. You've been watching it for a week or two or a month, and you're going, there's no way anything possibly good is going to come out of this. God says, I want you to understand that this weapon of judgment wasn't formed by your actions or my hand. And this weapon that is being formed against you will not prosper. The voices of condemnation that have been raised against you, you will condemn and suppress. In Jesus' name. Everyone stand your feet. Thank you for joining us for the New Hope Sermon of the Week. For more information about this podcast or other resources, visit newhopeonline.com.